love. Some would say it took a backseat when the pandemic forced us apart. As a family-run and proudly Canadian-owned company, Charm Diamond Centres saw the need to bring us together with tales of love and created the Canadian Love Map podcast. Since then, we've shared hundreds of real, uplifting stories that prove love conquers all. So thank you for listening. We couldn't do it without you. And remember, love starts here. What the world needs now is love. More love. Stars literally aligned. He's always been the one. There's someone out there for everyone. I'm Nancy Regan, your host on the Canadian Love Map. We are on a journey to uncover and share love stories of all kinds. He's never forgotten to bring me flowers. We're hoping we're going to give a little good news to this world. Even in these dark times, the life continues to go on. It's all about compassion, devotion, adventure, and of course, love. Everybody needs somebody. Everybody needs love. This is the Canadian Love Map. Well, love is the most important thing. You know, I know people get sad with their life's laughter after, you know, maybe they've retired or thing. But honestly, giving and being a part of something that you're you're helping other people or getting involved with something, it, it is so rewarding. I can't tell you enough. It doesn't have to be starting a giant art project. It can be anything. Today's love story belongs to Holly Carr, a Canadian artist who turns silk into stories, creating joyful magic with her brushes. She's toured across the country with her unique live performances, including a 26-date tour with the late Stuart McLean of Vinyl Cafe fame. Most recently, Holly has brought to life an extraordinary art installation that carries a beautiful message around mental health. It's all about light in the forest. This is the Canadian Love Map. Holly Carr, <laughs> I have been waiting a long time to get you on the Canadian Love Map podcast. Welcome aboard, matey. Thank you. I'm happy to be aboard. Yeah, we've been talking about this for a while, so I'm excited to have the conversation. And I am not even sure how I managed to pin you down because you are so incredibly busy right now. But it's all of your own design. It's your fault. Yeah, it's my fault. So nobody to blame except myself. And I'm and I'm generally happy. I like being busy. Um, but yeah, I am particularly busy right now. There's a lot happening. And but you know, it's, it's exciting to have a purpose to get up to and especially one you feel passionate about. So even on days when I feel a little grumpy about it, I can I can get over that. Yeah. yeah, I couldn't agree more. Okay, well, we're going to talk about light in the forest, but I'm going to tease that right now, push it to the side and say, let's talk about Holly Carr as an artist. And let's go way back, rewind and tell hey. me how art played a role in your childhood. It was actually, it was um, my escape. You know, I didn't, I didn't particularly like school. And um, but there will be Friday afternoon art classes and I lived for them. And I I just my imagination was always spinning. I always had all these ideas and, and everything. I mean, I didn't have a lot of technique then to express them, but I tried. And um, and I would look forward to that day because I felt like I kind of shone, you know, and plus it made me happy. 
were in school generally, uh, my imagination, I was just, I just didn't pay attention. I was literally lost in my own head with ideas, not, not uh, realizing what was happening around me. And my parents, I got a lot of feedback from them. They're probably worried about me because I, you know, because I didn't do so well in school that, that I did have this, this thing. And I can remember in our class, this is really one stands out. I had teacher, you know, I was a good kid. I was very, um, I was shy, extremely shy. So teachers generally liked me. And uh, I can remember we were doing these um, tulips uh, for our parent, for Mother's, for Mother's Day. And they were made out of red paper and you dip them in wax. You might have done one yourself. And then you, they got this thing on this post with you give the tulip to your parent. And I was just so bored with the idea of doing a red tulip like everybody in the class. I just couldn't even imagine <laughs> doing that. And so I begged the teacher to let me go outside and find a branch. I had this idea. And so she was so sweet to me. And when I think about it now, and she let me go out. And, and so I went out and I found this branch in the schoolyard and I brought it back in. I got all this tissue paper and, and I ended up making a whole apple blossom branch and <laughs> dipping each pink flower in this wax. And it was just this extravagant big thing that I was so thrilled about and excited and it was mine and my idea. And so that was sort of, you know, I had lots of things. That was a real beginning when I realized I just had this desire to create and, and my imagination was outside of the box of school. And uh, and I had some teachers along the way who really fostered that love in, you know, in me. And I feel very grateful for that. Well, yeah. that story is such an amazing example of how a teacher can make a difference in a kid's life. And it turns out to be a difference in a human's life that it can extend to the oh. end of their lives, you know. I, I think about the difference between that teacher could have thought, no, we stay with structure and rules. But instead, yep. she said yes to your creativity and your imagination. And that must have, in a way, opened a real door for you. This is a possibility. Oh, yeah. Oh, it did. And, you know, the other thing is I brought it home and my mom hung it on the wall. It must have hung there until I was like in my teens. So that was another, you know, to get that affirmation that she thought it was good enough to put on our wall, you know, um, which it just I just made me feel special. And um, and being a really shy kid and not feeling like a very academic child. I felt this was my little place. And, and you know what I do remember too, around that time, um, I remember in art class on Fridays, kids would line up at my desk for ideas. I just, I just remembered that recently and they would come and I would save my own, my favorite one for me. And then I would just give out ideas like as they came to me for the art projects. That's I a very bizarre that. thing, right? But I, I really remember that. And I, yeah, and I just, it felt very normal for me at the time. But I mean, that's kind of special, I think, in grade five. This conversation is going to have lots of layers of love, and I'd like to talk about your love affair with Mr. Dressup. Oh, and in a way, yeah. you know, he made such a contribution to children across Canada. When you think about how he gave them license and the encouragement to, to create. Oh, it's huge. It's huge. You know, and I'm not the only one. There are so many people, probably my generation and older, who love Mr. Dress Up and, and still feel that inspiration or that warmth when his name comes up. When I was a kid, I, I remember watching him drawing and creating, and especially he would draw a story. And I was so inspired by that. And I remember later in my life um, thinking like, who could I meet if I could meet anyone who was famous, which, and it was him. He was the only one I wanted to meet. Ernie Combs was my person I wanted to, to meet in person. And yeah, when my, my little fella came along, he was only two and Mr. Dressup came to the Halifax Cohen. He was doing a, a tour. I was so excited. My boy could barely, you know, talk. He was sitting on my lap with a soother, but I, I wanted to see him. And I can remember being in the audience and watching him and literally tears. I'm not even kidding. 
rolling down, you know. And um, and I heard this woman in the audience around my age scream out, we love you, Mr. Dress Up. And, and I was feeling the exact same. I mean, I didn't do it, but I felt, yes, 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 that's right. You know, but that and so I knew I wasn't alone with that passion for this man. And 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 it was his gentleness, his kindness, his steadiness, not talking down to children, just being really even. And and I, I you know, when Casey would get sick, him caring for him, it was all it was just a beautiful thing. And uh, and later in my life, I'm taking a little jump ahead. Yeah. When I was touring with Stuart McLean, um, I, the very first um, Stuart McLean, they brought me into Toronto to make sure it was going to work. So we had to tour for a month, to make sure everybody liked me, I guess. I want to interject um, and say this is Stuart yeah. McLean, who is so famous, of course, the late Stuart McLean, yeah. who is so famous for Vinyl Cafe on That's CBC right. Radio. And he would do these cross Canada tours and Holly got uh, pulled onto that train. I did. I went for a 26 city tour. It was amazing. And uh, we went away for a month and he saw me performing at Halifax at a, a fundraiser I was working on. And um, he just came up and whispered, do you want to go on tour with me? And he took me on tour. And uh, anyway, when we were there, the very first day, his manager came up to me after I did my first performance as like a trial run with them in Ontario. His name was, jo they called him Jonesy. He was this wonderful, fabulous character. And he said, um, do you know who you remind me of? you remind me of Ernie Combs. Do you know who Ernie Combs is? And I'm like, oh my God, do I know it? <laughs> of course, I love Ernie Combs. You know, that, that I went on, blah, blah, blah. And he went on to tell me that he was his best friend and that, um, and that uh, he had even wow. lived with him at one point. And so the whole time we're touring for a month, he regaled me with Ernie Combs stories. This is after Ernie passed away. I never oh did get gosh. to meet him. And it was the closest I was ever going to get to Ernie Combs. And then he actually invited the whole crew and cast, which he never does apparently, to his home, his private home for dinner with his family. And the whole, all the walls had original Ernie Combs paintings on them. I mean, wow. I can't even tell you what, it's like a full circle. I call them life loops. That's, that's what I, and if you hang in there, it's going to come all the way around. Yes. And it did. And it was just so moving. And so I've painted Ernie Combs and I actually made a t-shirt that I wear. I want to clarify, um, when you say you're performing, people may think, okay, well, wait, she's an artist. How is she performing if she's a painter? So let's let that hang there for a second and go back to your decision to go to art school and how okay. your art developed. Yeah. So I, um, I would had been making art, but I really felt frustrated because I didn't know how to use materials. My parents would just give me things for Christmas. And you can imagine getting an oil painting kit, not knowing anything about oil. I mean, it was just so frustrating. Um, but I had all these ideas and I had to have a visual way of representing them, you know. So I, I had I don't know how I had the gall to go to art college at the time. I can't believe they let me in. But anyway, I went to NASCAD with this rugged portfolio. And um, they I went for an interview. I think that's helped me get in because honestly, my portfolio was terrible. I got in. And I was terrified. I was way in over my head. Um, you know, I realized that I really didn't know anything about art and I had a big learning curve. And so I'd stay up late at night and just work and work and work. And then I found my way through design. I wasn't happy there. I went to fine arts. I went all over the art college finding a place. I ended up dabbling in everything, which was wonderful because I had such a nice broad base of learning about art. Right. Um, I studied everything, drawing, painting, pottery, you name it. I was there studying it. And then I ended up doing a teaching degree in um, through NASCAD at the time they had a teaching degree. And so I did that. So now I had a design background. I went into, I actually went into some acting, like some crazy far out art stuff that really was I was way outside my comfort zone, but I did it like art happenings and things like that. Um, and then ended up in art ed, 
And then I thought, well, I'll be an art teacher who, you know, I couldn't imagine being an artist. I mean, the idea of ever getting the idea of being a full-time artist would blow my mind. So mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll teach. And I, and I love teaching. And so I thought this would be a happy place to be. And so, and I thrived in the art education program and at the same time had a studio at, at NASCAD. So I ended up teaching after I graduated. And then my mother-in-law put me in a silk painting workshop. So and, wait, time um, out, time out. How do you have a mother-in-law if you haven't yet right. met the artist? I was right. just about to say, all this time you're yeah. looking for your art. Are you sure you weren't yeah. also looking for your artist? Your artist oh, man oh, who you would him. go forward oh, with? I was very <laughs> Tell lucky. Tell us that love story. Yeah. There's another layer. Oh, yeah. You saw him in the background there. Yeah, he um, he's a sweetheart, Alan Bateman. And we met when we were 20 at NASCAD. And um, fell in love there and have the best memories. And we were both in art education together. And um, so we both have art teaching degrees, actually. And yeah, he was he was one of the best things that came out of NASCAD for me. A life partner that, you know, it's now what do we, uh, I think it's been 38 years we've been together. And we've grown up together. And we now full-time artists and have been for like almost 30 of those years. And you share a studio, which is yeah, really amazing. Yeah, all behind me. <laughs> oh, because <laughs> your studio encompasses the world because, you know, this takes you back to what you were saying before about, about realism. Not everybody can really paint realism. But no. Alan, Alan is the son of Robert Bateman, and yep. his his painting is similar to Robert's in that it is incredibly realistic and it yours is. is completely fantastical <laughs> and and joyful and delightful and otherworldly. So yeah. it's like the whole world is contained in your studio. It is, you know, and and there's such joy here. I like it's funny because we we were talking about this. Why do we have separate studios? Why are we together? Like we at first it was just because we lived in little cottages or whatever we could rent and so we always had one little space we would share. And then it was we bought and bit, made a bigger house. We just end up staying in the same room. Now you can see how big it is. He's way at the other end. Um, so we can even have our own separate TVs and radios, whatever going. Um, but it's a funny thing. I think there's just a comfort in it. And and we just get along really well. We're very fortunate. We have a good sense of humor, both of us. And um, and and I can't imagine not having him at the other end of my studio. I just It would just seem weird to me. Um, and, uh, yeah, grateful for it. Grateful. And, and we are, we support each other wholeheartedly. There's no competition here. None. It's like, this is how we live. So we're happy if either of us are selling or doing something, <laughs> making art, we're all good about that. And then he has like times where I'll crit things and I'll come over if he's st- struggling with something because I am, I don't, I know how to draw and paint realistically. I'm not as good as him, but I certainly know how, and I can see when colors off or some lines are off. And so we do that and then he'll come over and he'll give me ideas or we'll brainstorm when I'm working on a project and he gets me going in a whole other path. And he's been helping with light in the forest. I mean, I don't know what I do without him in that way. Well, I think of your house, which is in a rural area of Nova Scotia. I think of it as light in the forest because it's like, it's like the good energy between you two and in your house and all the creativity is just like a magnet that draws people there. And, and uh, I know you have, have a love of gathering people. So that's wonderful. Okay. Now I'll take you back to that mother-in-law comment. (laughs) Yeah. It was my boyfriend's mother at that time okay she wasn't yet your mother-in-law no you were just no. wishing at that point i got it yeah she was love she's still lovely i'm very lucky yeah i lucked out in that department um but she yeah she she put me on a course that i did not want to be in as a birthday present 
And it was probably this time of the year. And it was silk painting. Silk painting, which I had never, I mean, I loved fashion and things like that and dabbled a bit, but I didn't, I, the idea of silk painting had no interest. I was painting on canvas at the time. Um, I just didn't see it. And I only went because she bought it for me and I felt bad if I didn't go. And I went and fell madly in love. And it was a day of silk painting at Dalhousie. And I was working with all the design students there. It was a, I got to join them for some reason. I don't know how they all, but I did. And, um, and I painted and oh my gosh, I fell madly in love with it. I couldn't stop. And I, I had very little money at the time. I was waitressing and going to school, but I used whatever I had to buy silk and dyes. And my mother and I had a small apartment. So my mother-in-law actually made this little place in her basement for me. And I would go there after school. I was still studying full time. I would go there and paint into the night in this basement. And I just could not stop. And uh, yeah. And she so she actually started me on this path that became my career. Like who would have known, right? If I hadn't met Alan, I probably wouldn't be doing this. There's no question in my mind. That's yeah. amazing. It was, the, it was the only thing I didn't study at NASCAD was fiber arts. Oh, you're kidding. Yeah. Oh, and NASCAD, by the way, is the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design. Yeah. And I want to say that uh, silk painting is, I don't know if it's just the way you teach it, because I have been fortunate enough to do workshops with Holly. It is absolutely intoxicating. You have it no is. idea until you try it, how it just sort of pulls you into this other world. And I, how can you explain that? I think it's sensual and it's immediate, right? Like it's yes. like a watercolor in the sense you can't overwork it or else you just start again. You just have to trash yeah. it and start again. But the it's medium liberating. itself is sensual. Oh, it's very liberating. You have to let go. You can't be too uptight about it. Um, and the colors, the way they blend. And it's there's a, a luminosity to the silk and the dyes that just, if you love color, if you don't like color, you like you wouldn't want to do this medium. And some people don't. If you're a minimalist, maybe not so much. Forget about um, it. But yeah, at least the way I teach, you could probably do minimalist <laughs> to somebody else, but it wouldn't be in my class probably. And yeah, it was so much fun. And I always say, I say that to people we like this. I think people leave pretty happy when I do workshops. I haven't had many because of COVID, although I'm trying to one this year if I can. Uh, it's just Canada's been so busy. Um, but I, I love teaching them. Yeah. And they're okay, so that takes us back on the map, on down the road the toward that Diamond Centers. I'm thrilled to be a and part of your love story. So visit memoriesoferniecoons.com. Mr. Dress up one of your local stores. Gave you the idea to paint silk live on stage. Well, it's funny because, uh, yeah, well, I, I remember painting one time I was on like a television show and they were, you know, like they were talking about my art and, and they had filmed my hand drawing. And I, I remember seeing it on the monitor and I got such a thrill because I like, I missed your dress, <laughs> you know, because I can draw pretty quick and I can draw it with my imagination like him, um, a little more flamboyant, but definitely like him. And so I, I actually think when I really started performing live for people like that aspect came from. Uh, just a happenstance. I had um, somebody ask me, um, they were drawing, they were drawing live with the dancer, like pencil work or something. And they, and they couldn't do it. And they saw me performing. I was actually performing at a show that I was a part of a theater show at the art gallery, but I would paint the way I painted my studio it was projected behind me. And they said, well, do you think you could paint live? And I thought, gosh, could I, pay? I was painting live, but I mean, in an upright way, you know, with silk. Mm -hmm. and I just thought, oh gosh, I'd love to give it a shot. Like I'm, I'm always up for anything. And so I had an idea. And so they actually helped me build this, uh, six, oh, it was eight by 16 feet stretcher. And I covered it with silk on the back mm -hmm. and I backlit it. 
And I thought this is going to look beautiful because it's going to be like stained glass. So no matter what I paint, even if it's a bomb, it's going to look pretty, you know, with the with the light. Mm-hmm. And then I had a dancer, um, when Noah was dancing and there was some musicians. Oh, wow. It was really amazing. Yeah. I think Sandy Moore was playing. It was different people and it was at the conservatory. And so I had eight minutes, I think, at the most, I think, to paint. And I had this giant piece. So I started sweeping in rhythm with the music on the doing with big brushes and end up with these giant dragonflies. And uh, and when I hit red paint on the 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 screen and it glowed i heard a gasp in the audience and i thought oh i've got something here you know i just could feel it yeah. and there's i love magic. doing it yeah there's magic i could i could feel the magic <laughs> yeah and so that was the very first time and then um yeah and then i actually i think i talked to Star, uh, scott mcmillan at the time um i said what do you think about working together and he had some jazz groups and we did a little bit and we played around and did a lot around the province and because it gave me a chance to get good at it and a chance to explore especially with jazz music because i could do anything i wanted they were improvising mm-hmm. i was improvising and then Stuart mclean actually i did a lot of fundraisers so i would perform and then they would be auctioned off and so i kind of got known that way and then the symphony saw me at uh, the national arts center symphony which is who I, I really wanted to play with and then they called me up and said hey do you want to perform with us and then symphonies started calling me and things just started going from there. And uh, yeah, and I've toured, I've been all over. I mean, I've been in Singapore and Hong Kong and all over Canada. And I actually performed in the States in Toledo just before the COVID shutdown. And um, yeah, I actually just performed this week uh, at a private, it was a conference uh, for an insurance company, <laughs> a Canadian conference. And I, and I painted live at that um, two nights ago. Wow. Uh, so I'm well, still doing a little bit. Yeah. Oh, but I think about all of the charities that you've supported with this particular type of performance over the years. And it takes, I can't even imagine if I got my calculator out, it would be a lot, a lot of money you've helped raise in this country. And that's, that's an enormous contribution. But another huge contribution that we want to talk about now, you know, I think about if you look back at your life as a road and you sort of look back over the the road you've traveled, often it, it turns out that everything you've done has prepared you for what you are about to do next. And right. I really see that in your story. Like everything you did sort of laid a stone down on this beautiful path leading to this huge contribution that you're making in the world of mental health and you're using literally all of your talents to do it so tell us about the magic that is light in the forest it is and it's so it's so all-encompassing it's hard to even describe because people are like slow down like what are you doing (laughs) i'm gonna give you a very quick like of how it came to this point my son, who was a young guy at the time, he's now um, an older guy. <laughs> he was a little guy and he was really struggling from um, anxiety and especially around the nighttime. And it was, you know, it could be very debilitating. And it was, it's, it's hard to watch a child struggle. It's just painful as all get out as anyone can imagine. And so, you know, we, we talked a lot. I was lucky. I was home a lot working in the studio. So I was around him a lot, which was great. And we talked about the forest and, and looking for little bits of light when you felt like things were dark and there was always some light that you just had to look for. We'd had these conversations. And anyway, I had Acadia University asked me if I would build an installation because they saw this thing I had built at the museum called the terrarium. So I said, yeah, but I'd like to build it around this theme of of what my child's suffering, <laughs> you know, was. And 
So I said, you know, maybe I could build a world that everybody could get in, um, a world that for not only for Jack, but for other people. And we could all enjoy it together, kind of coming into the light and having these choices of leaving the dark and going into light and, and um, using the animals as a metaphor in nature, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I built this giant installation at Acadia University and uh, people could all get inside it. And it was just it was really lovely and a really beautiful, fulfilling experience. And then I just kind of put it on the back burner years later. Um, we had some, uh, some friends and, um, and neighbors who had, uh, you know, they lost their children to mental health and it was devastating. And I started thinking about what I could do. And I'm an artist, like, right. So I, I brought light and force back and I thought, well, what can I do with it? Like if people don't go to galleries necessarily, you know, I thought, well, I'll build it into a multimedia piece and then people can come and just sit safely in the audience and experience this thing, you know, and we could share together and try and destigmatize some of this and be able to bring the conversation out. This was pre-COVID, right? Mm. Who would have known what we had coming down the pipes? Like I had no idea. Uh, so I started building this piece literally with a credit card um, to afford everything. <laughs> like it was a lot of silk, a lot of, I had to hire people, dancers and musicians and everything to build this giant thing. That's a lot of silk to start with. I think oh, about the huge. Oh, a yard. Oh, my gosh. Oh, good Lord, yeah. <laughs> and design and, you know, and I, I wasn't being paid either. So it was like, you know, trying to do it between the work I was being paid for. So anyway, I built this thing. We tried it out. I could see magic in it. It wasn't ready, but we did a rough run in 2019 in the fall. We had a few private supporters who came on and helped me out paying for it, which were lovely. And um, Colin McDonald being one that I can think of off the top of my head. He was so sweet. And um, so we ran this program and then had this plan. I started meeting with Acadia and said, well, why don't we do something with the kids there? And and so we had a big plan for 2020 and then COVID hit and it just went, it's gone. Yeah. All the work. Snuffed out. And uh, it did. But you know what? I kept it going. And at first I just took a month off and I worked with the Canadian Mental Health Association. They've endorsed me and my project all along. So um, I worked with them online. So I would go and work with kids it was so much fun. It was such a lifesaver, really. And I'd go in and zoom in and all these kids would come in. And it was like um, make art with Holly, you know, and I would draw this story. They tell me and all oh, we got. It was just so much fun. I absolutely loved it. And so I was doing that and, other, and putting coloring pages out for people and just kind of getting lost in like trying because people were struggling. We all were, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, then I thought oh, I'm going to go back to light and force. I'm bringing I'm not going to let it go. Now I see the importance more than ever. So I started working virtually and I thought, OK, I'm turned into something. So first I worked with a, a real estate crew and I had, while we were filming it in a mermaid who gave me their theater and, you know, with, when everything was closed up, um, they came filming it. So we made this virtual world that you could go in and icons in it. And we started that at the university to doing trial runs with kids like uh, who were struggling. And then we thought, I thought, oh my gosh, well, we can do animation because you can put the animation online. And my son had lost his job. He was working uh, for in the film industry and Everything shut down. So he started animating for me. And we had this beautiful, and it was the project he inspired, you know, it was so beautiful. I was just going to say, same son who literally, you know, produced the seed of the idea. And and, and I got to connect with him because we were all in our homes and he's living in Halifax with his, his fiance. So... It was it was lovely, you know, and um, and he did beautiful work. It was soft and gentle, just the way I wanted it to be like Mr. Dress Up. It feels like Mr. Dress Up. Very easy, crafty, not like high and, you know, flashy animation. And um, so we did that. And then I thought, oh, my gosh, I'd like an original score for this. And 
Um, I had some help uh, leading me to Chris Palmer at uh, Symphony Nova Scotia. And he, over the computer, as I'm sending him images and talking, he composed a piece of music for every animal. And I can still remember, like, you know, on those dark days of COVID and you're not leaving your house and him sending me the wolf, you know, the music he created for my wolf. Wow. And laying in bed and, and Al and I would just lay in there the night and we would listen to it. And, uh, you know, just make me cry thinking, oh, what magic is this? You know, and I love orchestras and then I love symphonies and I work with them. So it was very fun to have my own original music for my creatures. Um, so he did that. And then now we have this orchestration. We have animation. We had I had a dancer, uh, Lydia Zimmer, who's incredible. Oh. I made costumes for her. She's we amazing. had I like, painted. Oh, she's she's really amazing. Um, and I love working with her. Oh, oh, and then I brought in this um, um, this wonderful Melissa Labrador, and she's an Indigenous woman, and she did some um, traditional drumming for me. Yes, and um, and which we've recorded and put into the animation. So it starts with traditional drumming, and then it goes into classical. It's beautiful, and also she interpreted in Mi'kmaq uh, the uh, we have English speaking, and then a Mi'kmaq after or before before the English, and so everything's translated in both languages, and that's really beautiful to make it more inclusive, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, so now I have this big beautiful thing, and then I did a children's book, and it did well, and so um, we have the Light in the Forest book that goes with it when I work with young people, and then uh, oh the app. So then I start working on an app because we all this animation. So I started working with a professor from Acadia and a couple of students. And we've been building an app for three years and we've got it to a point now it's been, you know, it's, it's in its proto. We've been trying to prototype it with all these kids, you know, like get them to go over it. And um, now we have a professional app developer who I think is going to come on board and make it user friendly so that we can, we can reach more youth with it. And inside of it is the animation of light in the forest, but also resources. Um, all these falling leaves bring you to resources um, around the province. And so oh, um, including, it including phone numbers when you're feeling really scared and you need somebody to reach out to and you can just call and a mapping system where hiking trails are and things like that. What age group is it aimed at? Actually, I know this sounds really strange, but it is all ages. It's what you mm -hmm. take out of it at your age. Sure. Uh, if I'm doing a presentation and I'm working with older kids and I have a different way I might conversate, um, and then with little kids, I kind of make it more um, interactive. Um, but this, I have presented Light in the Forest to over 3,000 youth now um, in Nova Scotia, Halifax, Bridgewater, and Wolfville. I'm heading to Yarmouth in November. I'm working out of the NSCC campus there. Um, and I have had kids from ages four to 90 years old. That is who I work with. It's beautiful. But, and but I can moving. hear voices across the country right now going, but what about us? Someone in BC yeah. is saying, when are you coming here? Someone in Calgary is saying, when are you coming here? So <laughs> what, you know, obviously this is a project that needs to move across the country. What sort of plans do you have for that? So, yeah, because I think we're on a, a kind of a cutting edge. It, it is the intersection of art, nature, and mental wellness is what it is. And it's and, a sweet um, spot right now. It really is. It, it, it is. And, and so we have the... Um, the natural the natural history museum because the run was so successful we um they've um encouraged me to build a permanent installation that will be a museum installation that could be up for three months at a time in the museums and we're going to so we're going to begin it with the nova scotia um natural history museum in next september 2024 they will launch it 
and then it will tour uh, the province in any museum that can fit. It can be scaled, so it can go into different museums. And then, um, and I have um, six um, uh, live shows in all the regions of Nova Scotia I still want to do. And the Ministry of Mental Health and Addictions is helping me do that. Like they're supporting this program. And so is RBC Foundation, I might add. And uh, so I can hire people without uh, worrying about that. Um, yeah, so so I have all of that. So I think that will take us to 2025 to get all of that done. Um, and then then I see us moving out. And there's been some interest um, from some folks in Ontario. And and um, I've had a little buzz from BC. So I think if the gumption is there and the interest by the time we finish touring our province and or Atlanta provinces, then I think it will find its way across the country. And it's such a great thing because working at the museum and working with Mermaid in, back in the day, I learned so much about scaling my art. So even they, and silk can go huge and then pull it all down and get it all right. in little bags and things. Right. And even the, the structure around it, Alan's really good at helping me hinge everything. And so we can put it in hockey bags and carry it. So um, the museum's now helping me get this, this project so that, um, because by the way, it is three giant silk screens that you get inside. You walk through a little tree forest and you're immersed in this animated world. And it's it's going to be beautiful. And with that orchestration, with the drumming, uh, with storytelling, and it's going to take you from the dark to the light, and you can just be inside of this cozy, cozy, big animal world. Holly, speaking of darkness, I know you're involved in a project now around Porty Peak in Nova Scotia, and that will need some explanation for people perhaps Mm -hmm. in other parts of the country. But can you tell us about it? I certainly can. Um, yeah, under the banner of light in the forest um, and working with the Canadian Mental Health Association, um, we are doing a story trail for Porta Peak. And um, Porta Peak has built, uh, and they're still finishing it up, probably need a bit more funding to finish it up. And they've got this building, um, like a community center. They built a community hub and they have a playground and gardens. And um, so my what we're going to create is a little trail, like a loop around it. And it will have a new story that I'm writing called The Comfort Tree. It's a children's book. And they've been, um, I'm, I've kind of run it by the board, the, the story. So I'm working sort of with them on this story so that I make sure the language, there's no trauma or anything involved in what I'm creating. And I want it to be like a lullaby, like a safe, sweet lullaby that, that you can go with your family and go around the trail. The Canadian Mental Health Association is making these sort of placards and they'll have the story as you go along the trail and you can read with your your loved one. And there'll also be some QRL codes that you can, you know, hear the animals or hear somebody reading if you have your phone and things like that. And the story of the comfort tree is about all these animals who find comfort in this one particular tree and how it helps them in various ways. And at the very end, they all sort of cozy up and go to sleep in it. And it starts in the light. It's all very joyful and pos- positive. There's one little arc to the story that has to be resolved which gets resolved at the end and then it goes into the dark but the dark is all around safety and sweetness and comfort um at this big tree wraps its its branches around them all and rocks them to sleep so Mm -hmm. that's what i'm working on for porta peak and i i'm very excited and it will be done and it will be um yeah it will be it will be theirs and so hopefully we'll have that done soon that's incredible because for those who don't remember uh, from the news, Portapique was the site. It's a small community and yeah. it was the site of a, a horrible mass murder. And this is like a type of healing. You're doing your part to create healing there. Yeah, everything. It's more about 
what now, not what happened, but what now? And so how can we bring it all into the light? And they, they've created this community hub. And so, and my book actually is about um, this tree that creates a community for the animals. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, there's definitely some um, similarities in that way. And it's all, yeah, it's all around joy and sweetness and safety in the dark. And, um, and I felt that was really important. And I'm hoping it will be out next fall. And in same the same time when I have the light in the forest at the museum. And uh, but we might have the placards done before that, which would be great to put them on the trail by the spring or something. So fantastic. Yeah. And you know, just hearing you talk makes me think that when you know your why, when you really are attached and grounded in your why, the hows, what's, when's all just fall in place. What do you get out of it? Oh, my gosh. Well, definitely my purpose to get out of bed. Not that I really, you know, I'm a pretty active person. I've got lots to do and I love life and I love nature and I can find some reasons to get out of bed. But this is a big one. And and I know it's going to keep me busy for a long time. Um, and the more response I get and the more I, it's, I'm, I'm fueled to, to make sure I complete what I've started. Like I'm not going to, you know, leave it. I'm going to make sure I, I do what I've, um, I've promised. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just, I just, I was just, Al and I were just talking about this. I said, I just feel like this is right. Like this makes sense to me that I'm here right now. I'm turning 59, um, in a couple of weeks and, and it just makes sense to be here. I'm almost in my grandmother mode, you know, like I'm going to be <laughs> grandma, grandma Holly out there, you know, with the kids. And I, I, and it makes me very, very happy. And I love working with youth. Like I really do. Um, but we, you know, we have groups of seniors and we have everything. Such a gift. Such a gift. And, you know, I, I put it like this. When I was uh, more more fixated on approval, I wanted to be loved. And now at, at my stage of life, I want to be love. And that is, that's how you are yes. showing up in the world as love in action. And it's, yeah. it's you know, that's, that is the most rewarding and joyful place to be. Oh, my gosh, Nancy, you're right. It really is. And I you know, I know people get sad and, and sad with their life's laughter after, you know, maybe they've retired or thing. But honestly, giving and being a part of something that you're you're helping other people or getting involved with something, it, it is so rewarding. I can't I can't tell you enough. And it doesn't have to be starting a giant art project. It can be anything, but it just takes you outside of yourself. And it's that gratitude thing, you know, it's why we have our gratitude tree at at the light in the forest, because when you write things you're grateful for, it takes you out of the, the pain or worries of what you're worried about or happening now. And, and it gets you gets you there in the light. And um, so, yeah, so when you help other people, you're in the light and you can get away from your own pain and worries of your own life. And uh, it that is a gift. Yeah. For you. Right too. on, sister. Yeah. Right on. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. you so you put a lot of love into the world. You put a lot of art into the world. I want to encourage people to Google Holly Carr and see her beautiful, fun, joyful art. You can find it even on Etsy. She makes clothing with her art oh. that is like, t- talk about statement pieces because it is just <laughs> yeah, so fun. Anyone walks, if you walk into a room wearing <laughs> Holly's art, I promise you it's going to be a conversation starter. Well, yeah. I talked about looking back at your path. And now as I look forward on your path, I can only imagine the magic you're going to create. And I will be watching. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows what it will be. <laughs> Thank you, Holly. Thank the, you, well, the sky is the limit with you, I know. 
Why not, right? <laughs> Thank you, Nancy. Thanks so much for listening to the Canadian Love Map. This podcast is presented and made possible by Charm Diamond Centers. It's hosted by me, Nancy Regan, and is produced and distributed by Podstarter. We love sharing love stories of all kinds, and that could include yours. So do you or someone you know have an uplifting tale to tell? Reach out to us on Facebook or Instagram using at Canadian Love Map or email producer at podstarter.io. We'll be back next week with another love story to add to the map.